Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at iskonofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of D-C dot org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. The title there is on the board. is How to Love Everyone. And uh, I guess a question that would come to my mind would be, uh, where would even someone get such an idea? Where would such a notion come from? To love everybody. And, uh, but actually, it's quite common in the bhakti tradition. It's understood that persons who are very advanced in the practice of bhakti, uh, this develops within them. And in, in Bhagavad Gita, uh, the notion of samadarshana, being able to see all creatures equally, is kind of the foundation for this. And in, uh, in, in, uh, in the Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada calls it the complete science of bhakti yoga, our founder has given this quotation, so it's, uh, which uh, uh, not only mentions this, but gives some idea about uh, why and how. So this is from his preface, when he's introduced, uh, the introduction actually is part of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that he translates in the Nectar of Devotion. This is explaining what it's about. And he says, Our loving propensity expands just as a vibration of light or air expands, but we do not know where it ends. The Nectar of Devotion teaches us the science of loving every one of the living entities perfectly by the easy method of loving Krishna. So the quote gives you first an idea uh, that love is an integral part of ourselves. And he says, and he gives the, the understanding that it wants to expand. Because it expands just like a vibration of light or air expands. So if you have a certain amount of gas in a container and you put it in a larger container, it expands and fills the empty space. If you have a ray of light also, it diffuses and expands. So it says, by nature, it's implying we are loving creatures, and it's natural for our love to want to expand. We'll talk about that. And, uh, and then he gives an, uh, uh, some understanding of how that might be possible. He says, by the easy method of loving Krishna. So we'll talk about that a little bit longer. But this is where the idea comes from. It seems like a crazy idea at first, but actually it's, uh, it's rooted in the bhakti tradition. Um, and sometimes we don't think about it, I would say, but uh, uh, love is a, a crucial part of our lives. So there's a, I have a quotation coming up from His Holiness Bhakti Tirtha Swami uh, in one of his books. It's called The Spiritual Warrior Two. And uh, usually when I speak this quote to somebody, uh, it resonates with them, almost everybody. And so I think it gives us an intuition about how important love really is to us, even though it might not be on our minds all the time. And he, he puts it this way. He says, when we are not in loving environments or relationships, we are having real problems with the quality of our existence. And generally people, you know, that, it works for them. So I think that, that's, a, that's a good sign that, that love is really central to our happiness and central to, our, to ourselves. Uh, the quality of our existence, not just the happiness of our lives, but our very existence is, is challenged if there's, if there's not love. So, so that's why it's important. I think we can understand it's an important topic. And, uh, but then immediately when I, when I said this, 
I had several doubts that came to my mind about this, uh, this enterprise. And uh, the first one, probably everyone will also have, uh, is it possible? It seems like a tall order. And then parent parenthetically, at the risk of being negative, uh, it's, it seems to me that some people don't really seem to be particularly lovable. I think most of us will see it that way. Sorry for the negativity, but that's probably what most of us will think. All right, so uh, is it even possible to do it? Even, you know, and the, the, the second doubt I, I had is, is, even if it were possible, would I even want to do it? Because, you know, it, usually our loving relationships kind of stand out against all of our other ones. They have a certain value because of their rarity and they're special in some ways. And so I was, I was thinking, if, if we loved everybody, wouldn't that kind of minimize that? It would kind of debase what love is. Would it still be special? if I loved every single person. And then uh, there's also a notion that love sometimes has another side to it, and it can be somewhat volatile. And so uh, there's, uh, uh, what about when it goes sour? Uh, you have you know, formerly loving relationships. And there's a, 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 a place where Srila Prabhupada comments in the, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, where he says, sometimes love affairs between two persons culminate in ghastly murder scenes. <laughs> love gone sour. So it, it seems that, uh, you know, sometimes love can be a very volatile substance. And uh, so that I guess that leads into another question. Do we, how much do we want to expand it? <laughs> how much does such a dangerous substance need, want to, want, do we want to expand that and spread it around? Because right? sometimes it happens that way. You know, that uh, persons that we love, if, it, if, it, if the relationships break, sometimes we have, you know, more animosity towards them than somebody else. So it's risky. Seems like it could be risky hmm, to do it. Um, I think we can satisfy all of the different objections. And uh, I don't think when you come out of here, you're going to find yourself instantly able to do it. But I think we can, maybe we can see our way forward, how we can begin to expand our circles of love and the reasons why it's possible. And so the first thing I think we have to do, to, to especially to minimize this particular doubt, is to understand there's a difference between love and desire. These things are not well understood in the modern world. Much of what uh, is classified as love is really desire. The word that, that Krishna uses in Bhagavad Gita is kama. And it can be translated as lust, but it means just strong desire, strong personal desire. And uh, there's a, um, my spiritual master, he likes to tell, there's a, a Russian proverb that says that the fox loves the chicken all the way down to the tail feathers. Okay. So the, the situation being that, the, the, of course, the fox finds the chicken very pleasing, but the chicken doesn't get much out of the relationship. <laughs> That's desire. That's not real love. But sometimes it goes under, under that category. So, let, let's, so we're going to take a look at the difference between uh, love and desire. And if we can understand them, we can separate the two. And we can, because the, the, the ghastliness that comes when the relationships break up, that's because of uh, the, the desire is not fulfilled. It's understood in, in uh, that uh, um, when that's, one of the, that's the main cause of anger. Our desire, we're frustrated in our desires. 
And so if, if, we're, if suddenly our hopes are dashed or somebody has betrayed us that we love, then we become very angry at them because it affects our lives negatively. Uh, so the, the kama leads to, the, the frustration of our kama, our desires, leads to krod, anger, and sometimes violence. Not real love. So let's take a look at some of the characteristics. Of, first we'll start out with desire. That sometimes we call love. And it has, it has certain kind of characteristics. There's an attitude of wanting. You have desire. You want. And you're taking or consuming. You're going to use that for your own pleasure. You're, you're needy. Right? There's a kind of a, a feeling of, of, of emptiness inside or something that you're lacking. Right? All of us, right? almost none of us are fully satisfied, even maybe any of the time, much less all the time. We feel that something is missing, and we make many, much, many of the things that we plan and do are trying to fulfill the needs that we have. And it's common. So there's a, a, a background that, you know, that I, I, have, I, I want something that will make me happy. I don't feel happy now. I feel empty. There's something missing. But if I get such and such a thing, it will produce happiness. And so the, the kind of the love, just like the fox sees, it sees something in the other that will satisfy your own needs. So the fox is hungry. Chicken tastes good. <laughs> the welfare of the chicken not considered. It's a completely selfish act. And so a lot of what we call love at least has a strong component of that. That that satisfies my need. And the, the root feeling is, is this, there's a certain lacking, there's a certain emptiness within us. A hole in the heart sometimes is described. And this person will satisfy that, then I can become happy. Um, in, uh, in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna mentions that this enterprise isn't successful. He says that the desire has the characteristic of fire. Uh, uh, both, of course, sometimes desire can be, we can call, we say, call something a burning desire, means that we really feel we need it very urgently. But in the context of the Bhagavad Gita, it, said that it says fire you can keep adding wood to or other fuel to. And it doesn't say, okay, that's enough, I'm satisfied. It just keeps burning and burning more and more. And it's, it's insatiable. And so what happens if we look at, reflect on our lives, every time that we have attained something that made us happy, Let's reflect back into all the different moments of happiness you've had in your lifetime, whether it be a long or a short one. Where have all those, where has all that happiness gone? If we could keep right, a fraction of 1% of all the happiness that we've had and keep it on hand, <laughs> we'd have a nice stock. We'd be happy all the time. But it, it just it evaporates. Right? The hole in the heart is like a sinkhole. You fill it in and it keeps going down. Doesn't work. So that's that. This is this is desire or kama, that kind of love. I, oh, I, I see something that can. This is really going to make make a difference in my life. It's gonna, really going to make a difference. I want it, and I'm you know, there to consume it or enjoy it or to take it. I'm in the mood of receiving 
Love, on the other hand, has, is, is, the, is the, actually the polar opposite. Um, the inversion of it, actually. It's almost like uh, kama and love are like inverted forms of each other. And we'll take a look at, at uh, real love. The mood is of appreciation. You're appreciating, not, not, not desire, not wanting, but you appreciate something. The mood is to give. Hmm? The underlying feeling is one of, of fullness or wholeness. And you see in the other something of objective value. But we've had this experience for where we admire someone or something. And if we, and it's not that they're just going to fulfill my desires, but there's something really admirable about somebody. You know. And you and naturally you want to give them. You know, parents have this feeling with their children many times. The children sometimes don't aren't always well behaved <laughs> or fulfill their desires very well. Sometimes the parents have to be very patient and tolerant. But they say the, the children have value. And they will give and, 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 and you know, do so many things for them. Right? Where you see value, you want to contribute, you want, you want to give. And the feeling inside is not one of emptiness. Right? When you feel this appreciation for somebody, you know, you're feeling whole, not empty. It seems to fill you up. You're happy. Right? It's a, diff a whole different opposite of each other. And the more you do it, the more it builds on each other. That's how it works. So there's love and desire. They're two different things. So what we're talking about here is it, it, desire is not going to, you can't, you know, I guess you could desire everybody, but, <laughs> but you probably wouldn't. And, it, and it's, it's not what we want to deal with. That's not what's really going to bring us happiness and satisfaction. So what's when common between, so they're, they're love and desire antithetical, right? It's like an in, kind of inverse of each other. <coughs> so one is giving, one is appreciating, one is feeling whole and, and happy, and one is needy and desiring and, and looking only for oneself. You want to give to somebody. You want to give to somebody who you think is is valuable, where otherwise you want to take what's valuable for yourself. And they're self-perpetuating. In the sense that, if we have, uh, if, if our condition is that we feel, we feel great emptiness, it's, it says in the Bhagavad Gita that actually we're prasanatma, that as souls we're full and whole and complete, but due to the influence of kama we feel incomplete. That's what gives us that. And the more we are, we we can notice. If you have a particularly bad day, you're really sick, you have a terrible headache, something really bad is happening, how it affects our whole interactions with the rest of the world. You become more selfish. You just want to get rid of that headache, get over that sickness, solve that problem. Things that otherwise wouldn't bother you, bother you. <laughs> you're a little testy. Or in some days you just feel good and happy. And things that would bother you don't. People that would bother you don't. You're more understanding. You're more, you have more empathy for others. Right? You're suffering. You think, oh, why that person did that? You know, I can't take anything more. But if you're happy, you think, oh, maybe that person's just having a bad day. 
you're more understanding, more empathetic. So the more happy you are and whole, feel whole inside, the more you're likely to have empathy for others, appreciate their good qualities. And the more that you're unhappy, you're looking for someone to satisfy that, to fulfill that, the hole in your heart. And so the more you do either of those two things, it, it increases. I think the more you try to, to, to satisfy the desire, stronger desires become. It burns like fire. The more that you're giving and loving, the more that that sustains that feeling of wholeness and happiness inside and makes you more likely to do it again. We're going to find in particular with one that, that when that's done particularly with, with relationship to Krishna, that's, that's a very powerful enterprise. So that brings up, though, um, the first objection again. Because we, if we're, we're talking about universal love, right? and we're supposed to, and love comes from appreciation, right? you see the value in others. Where does that value lie? Right, so, so universal love requires seeing beyond the surface of people. Because on the surface, many of us and many others may not be so lovable always. We may have qualities that aren't so attractive. Right? So if we're basing love on appreciation of somebody's external qualities, that's a limiting factor in a big way. Even if we make an effort, right? partially, if we, you know, partially we, you know, if we're unhappy, we tend to find fault with others. We want to compare ourselves favorably with them, so we're not very objective. Even if we make an effort and try to understand, more empathetic, try to understand people, you know, a little bit beneath the surface, you know, that will help to some degree. But still, not everybody is just that admirable. Even with, with kind of a, even if you look at them with kind of a, a kind eye. So there has to be something uh, where the true that really holds the real value to make it universal. What is it then that could that can allow us to love each and every person? It comes from this notion said in the Bhagavad Gita of seeing beings equally. And uh, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that every single soul is a portion, he says, mama vangsha, a portion of me. And Srila Prabhupada says it's like a sampling of Krishna. He uses the example, he says that, that the, if, if, the, if the supreme is the ocean, then each soul is like a little drop from the ocean. It says it, it contains all the different ingredients. <laughs> it's like a sample, a tiny and a priceless tiny sample of Krishna, of the divine. That has intrinsic value. So if we want to come to the point of really expanding the circle of love, then we have to come to the point of understanding both our nature and others' nature. We have to understand also ourselves in this way. 
we tend to judge others like we judge ourselves. And we, unfortunately, we have an inside version, a vision of ourselves. We know ourselves very well. We know all the things that we don't like about ourselves. We know all of our bad qualities. And so if love is based on qualities, we may also doubt whether or not we're worthy of love. And if we doubt that, well, we'll pass that along to others. We won't find them worthy of love either. So if we understand that the, the superficial things about living creatures, it says in the Bhagavad Gita, right, that the great sage sees a Brahmin, a cow, <laughs> an elephant, you know, or a dog, or a low-class person. He sees them all the same because he sees this. The yogi also understands the same thing. A jnani, someone who has great knowledge, understands the same thing. That we don't know who we are and we don't know who other people are for the most part. And this is a big mistake, both for our own self-worth and for our evaluation of others. So every one of us and every, every one of, is a priceless, although small, but even small, jewels can be quite small and quite expensive. So we're quite small, we're tiny, but priceless and a little sampling of the divine. All wonderful qualities are there. And even, well, I don't say even better, but the other part of it is that every soul is dearly loved by Krishna. He says very clearly in Bhagavad Gita, he says, everyone, he's the, the well-wishing friend of all living entities. So both things are there. Right? We're both lovable, and everyone else is also lovable, and also loved. Right? We love, we want, we want both sides. <laughs> we want to be loved, and we want to love. Both those things are are important. So if we understand that not only do we, do we have this intrinsic value, but we have this one cosmic experience of love, it should change our way of looking at things. Krishna is... Uh, well, his name means the all-attractive. There cannot be anyone more wonderful than the Supreme Lord. And generally, if somebody that we admire cares for us or pay, even just pays attention to us, it's a good feeling. I feel very gratified by that. So if we have some understanding that no matter who we are, where we've been, what we're doing, what we've done, that the Supreme Lord cares for us now, yesterday, tomorrow, always. That should make us feel pretty good. 
that should make us feel very satisfied. That should make us want to do something in return. And when we realize that other people are in the same boat, they are lovable and dearly loved by that person who loves us the most, it should change the way we view them. All the externals not being a relevant factor. And this is why Prabhupada says, by loving Krishna, and I would say also by understanding that Krishna already loves us, we have the best relationship of love, and it is able to expand because all the other creatures are loved, are lovable and loved by Krishna. The practice of bhakti is trying to put us into contact with that. The whole process of bhakti or devotion is trying to acknowledge the relationship that Krishna already has with us. It's not trying to get what we don't have. Krishna never, we forget Krishna, we forget the Lord, he has never forgotten us. And never will. So the relationship is active on his side. It's less active on ours. So the practice of bhakti is trying to activate that. Srila Prabhupada said one of the, one of the definitions of the, the Maha Mantra, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra that Prabhupada gives is, 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 is asking, we're asking Krishna to please accept us. We're, we're indicating the, our interest in the relationship. So as that relationship becomes active, the love is able to be expanded. We should become more and more satisfied in ourselves, less empty and needy. That changes our perspective. Automatically it allows us to appreciate others more easily, be more understanding, have more insight. And when we consider that they're also deeply beloved by the one who loves us best, <coughs> that should make an even deeper impression. Uh, to the best of my understanding, uh, it's, a, it's a fair statement to say that love, this kind of love, Real love, not desire, is the reason for existence. And I'll derive that from the revelation that Krishna gives us. We understand that Krishna 
is not an entity within the world like we are. We're a, we're a creature and we exist within this, this universe. Hmm? Krishna may look like that. He's standing on the altar. It seems like he's in a location here. It looks that way. But Krishna is actually the source of space and time, the source of all existences. And he can do anything he wants with them. If he wanted to change all of reality, he could do it in an instant. See, we're in a certain situation. We, we can, there's a limited amount of things we can do about it. We, we, here's the world, here we are, deal with it. But with Krishna, he is omnipotent, omniscient. If he wanted the whole world to be different, if he wanted himself to be different, it could happen in a second. He has full freedom. How he has made the world is how he wants it. He's not making any compromises. It's unique that way. So svarat is the word that's given in the, in the Bhagavatam. He's completely self-sufficient. So what does he do? He could be anything else if he wanted to. But what does he do? If you even look at the altar, you see he's always with persons he loves. Krishna is with Radharani, Ram is with Lakshman, Sita and Hanuman, Garanga is with Nityananda, and with all of us. They're here with all of us. We, uh, the word used is Leela, and he does Leela. Right? It's the play, or Prabhupada uh, translates it as pastimes. Right? Pastimes means it's not work, and it's not obligatory in any way. <laughs> Simply done out of his own volition, for his own purpose. So if somebody can have any world, can be anything they want to be, they can have any world that they want to do, that they want to have, and they're choosing to act in a certain way, I think it's a fair logical argument to say that for them that's the highest value. And since they can... They also have, he also has the most intelligence. He can consider any possibility. So in the best of all possible worlds, <laughs> the loving relationships that he has is the highest thing. Our Garuda Prabhu, who sometimes comes and speaks to us, uh, Srila Prabhupada's disciple, he, he likes to say that, uh, he says, some people say that God is love. But he says he thinks it's more apt to say that love is God. Because God <laughs> dedicates himself to love. So we have the opportunity to participate in that. Sometimes uh, His Holiness Bhakti Tirtha Swami says, this is a school of love where we learn how to love properly. If we want full satisfaction, we can participate with, with what Krishna feels is the highest value. Um, and it's a question of really reversing the process. Right now our love is weakened by desire. Here in the, in the third chapter of Bhagavad Gita, in the, in the commentary, it's, the, uh, it's Bhagavad Gita chapter 3, text 37. Uh, 
Arjuna asks Krishna in the verse before, he says, what is it, what kind of force there is that causes me to do things I don't want to do? Like, almost as if by force, bolavat, what overpowers me and causes me to act in wrong ways. And Krishna, Krishna answers, he says, it's, it's kama, it's desire. It overpowers us. And so what Prabhupada says in the commentary, he says, when a living entity comes in contact with the material creation, his eternal love for Krishna is transformed into lust or kama, desire. Even, even in English, uh, uh, sometimes lust, oftentimes we think of it in, in a sexual way, but uh, it just means some strong desire. Some people, have, some people have a lust for life, they say. It can be used in a more general sense. So kama means a strong desire. Or in other words, the sense of love of God becomes transformed into lust as milk in contact with sour tamarind is transformed into yogurt. It's curdled. There's a transformation that goes by. So that same force where we feel that we need things, that we're incomplete, it's an inversion of our wholeness and radiant love. That's what it is and particularly directed at the supreme lovable, Krishna. When we lose that love, the concept of, then, we, then, we, then we have desire all over the place. We're, we're trying to fill a, a hole that can't be filled. So there's wholeness inside of us that we're not experiencing because of desire. Because of not knowing who loves us the most. <laughs> because of not knowing who's the most worthy object of love. So we can't uh, jump all at once. And, uh, and suddenly we love everybody. But we can begin to move in that direction. We can begin to try to deepen our relationship with the supreme lovable who loves us the most. We can begin to heal the holes in our hearts. And we can begin to look at others with a different view. And that process builds on itself. We can begin to expand the circle of love. And as we do that, we have a chance to come to real satisfaction. It's our real calling. It's what we're made for. It's our real position. So thank you very much for listening and coming today. If there's any comments, questions, complaints, <laughs> please, please, we can address them now. Prabhu, <laughs> so. I have my question. You say, you know, we understand in the, the Gita tells us we are not the body, we are the soul. That's our true identity. And so my question is, what is the practical understanding of that? How do we change our thinking uh, to, be, to understand? I guess one of the things we think is our relationships, we don't perceive them as forever relationships. What other things are there to understand when it comes to we are not the body, but we are the soul? Well, of course, the, the, the main one that's given is Krishna just says to worship him. Right? That will automatically begin to reverse that process. But there's other things that he mentions. He mentions uh, 
in, in the second chapter, in the 13th verse, there's a meditation that he gives where he, he, sa he says, you can, you can look upon this lifetime and you can see how much you have changed physically, emotionally, mentally. Right? You can, if you remember when you were very, very young, right? you've changed. Your body is quite different, your, your mind, emotion, your under, power of understanding, intelligence, everything has changed. But when you remember back, you don't think that was somebody else. <laughs> that was me. So when we see so many things are changing, and yet we still identify with ourselves, what is it that's the same? And that's the fact that we're experiencing these things. So he says, it says that the soul is the source of, of awareness or consciousness. So right now we're, we're distracted. There's a high level of distraction that doesn't allow us to remember our real selves. So one of the things that we do, right, it says you can use that meditation. You can see all the changes and you can see that what is it that, that, that remains the same throughout all the changes. He also mentions that, um, that we have to, one of the things he mentions throughout the Bhagavad Gita is uh, raga and dvesha, attachment and aversion. And he, he tells Arjuna, because Arjuna is on the battlefield, and he tells him that, and, and Arjuna doesn't want to fight, and he's ready to run away, because right? it's something that's really, really painful to him. And Krishna tells him, no, you, you have to learn how to tolerate these things and do the right thing. And then he also wants Krishna, wants Arjuna to take a longer view of things. And it's interesting, what he tells him to do is you not only do the right thing, he says, but you have to do the right thing without wanting the reward for them. In, 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 the, in the Vedic culture, you have good, it's called punya karma. You do the right thing and you get a reward for it. Right? That's your good karma. If you're ha enjoying some happiness or some, some opulence of some kind, it's your punya karma is coming, coming around. He tells Arjuna to fight using yoga, not worrying about the results of those activities. He says, do not want, you don't want the, the, the pala, the fruit from that. He says, you do it just because it's the right thing. So you're taking a longer view of things. You're not just looking at, at, at okay, I'm going to suffer now in order to enjoy later. Simply do the right thing. But the ultimate thing he says is, is look, he says, you, you, you remember me, you worship me, you get, gain connection with me. Because that's what our spirit really is. You see? The soul really is is, 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 we're meant to love Krishna. Krishna loves us and we love him. That's who we are. Right now we're dormant. I would, I would compare it to being in a virtual reality machine and we've forgotten that we're in there. We're just, you know, it happens even, you know, even if we watch movies or read novels, we get caught up in the, in what we're watching. We, even though we're not directly connected to it, we feel emotions, we feel we can, absorbed in it. It's called absorption. The abhivashnata in Sanskrit says we're absorbed in the external world and we've forgotten ourselves. 
but we really are servants of Krishna. So if we do something to serve Krishna, we're awakening our real self. That's what really is recommended. Hi, um, wonderful talk. My question is, you spoke about Krishna as the source of space, time, mm. everything, and he made the world as he wanted, as mm. he wants it. Mm. My question is, in, in the literature, not you personally, if he wants it the way it is, there's so much, why, why then are we have a veil of what love is? Why do we act full of desire? He, he made the material world, i.e. The, the divorce rate is 50%, and, and, and then we're kind of selfish, we're very conditional. Mm -hmm. we, there's good sides too, but Krishna made us like this and the world, and then just take North Korea, they're trying to, this is a real problem, right? A real problem. I want to send a nuclear bomb here. So if he wants it this way, I'm confused. <laughs> the, the Anything is, you can say. Yeah. The, 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 the point, though, that lo love requires freedom. Okay? So it's not that he's in control of everything or in control of our decisions or making us in a certain way. But he, he gives us a certain level of freedom. I think... I think uh, uh, Chaitanya Charampuru, last week he mentioned the same thing. If you, if, you put, if you put a gun to somebody's head and say, love me, or if you can hypnotize them, right, or some, somehow you, could, you, can, you, can't, you can't, love cannot be compulsory or, or forced. And so therefore we have, we have a choice rather to participate in the loving relationship with Krishna or not. And so the, the, the negative things of this world are the result of our choices, and Krishna is allowing us a certain freedom. Luckily, they're also temporary. It's mitigated. And they, don't, they only cut so deeply. If we can come to the point where we understand our loving relationship with Krishna, we can mitigate these things of these worlds. We, ha we have the choice to make a difference in that. But we also have to have the ability to do wrong. We also have to have the ability to turn our back on that love. So that's, that's, that's our understanding of that. The, the example that Prabhupada gives, he, he says that the rain falls on the ground and it can nourish crops or it can nourish weeds. <laughs> and it's not the, uh, not the rain's fault. I mean, in your quote, uh, in the quote, a living entity comes in contact with material creation, his internal lust for Krishna is transformed into lust. It sounds like it's pretty common that that happens. It's not like, you know, it happens now and then, it happens. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of souls and some of them make that decision. So if there's a lot of them and some of them do, then it's a current. It's, I mean, it's it's as a current as many people you see <laughs> and living beings you see. So it does happen, but that, that's that's freedom. Some of us have decided to use our freedom in the wrong way. And so what what His um, Holiness Bhakti Tirthasvami says this this is a school of love now. We've forgotten our our relationship with Krishna, and now we have to learn to love again. It's a little foggy. I'll just taste it. it just says. This happens, it seems this quote pointing to it happens quite often. Yeah, as many living be it's happened as many times as there are living creatures in the, in the, in the world, so it does happen. Yeah. Still, the Prabhupada says the proportion is still quite small. <laughs> he says it's quite small because there's so many, many creatures in existence. But, but yeah, it's true. It happens. Each one of us has a perspective or kind of limitation mm -hmm. of love. Whereas the love is supposed to be a complete 100%. That's correct. God's love for us is 100%. Correct. Our love towards God is maybe close to 
100% may not be 100%. It can be. It's supposed to be, yeah. yeah. We, have the, we have that capacity. Right. We, yeah. So what I gather from your enlightening lecture is that the love is a, without any compensation. Correct. Uh, Correct. Uh, without any return. And it's pure. Yeah. And, and yeah. from scientific point of view, uh, there is a saying that uh, if you have a karma donating something you know, from your heart without expecting any return, that also boosts your immune response <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so on. Thank you. It's good for you. Right? In so many ways, yeah, you, yeah, you understood, yes, you understood correctly and explained it a little better than I did. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you very much.